want to welcome you this morning um, as we gather together in community. Um, my name is Brian White. I'm just so glad you're here this morning. And we've been in the midst of a sermon series called His Story. Um, you know, here at Hillspring, we, we believe that God is at work in the world. And, and God invites us to be a part of that work. And the world is broken in so many ways. But God is bringing about his kingdom on the earth. And, and, and God wants it to be more like on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's what Jesus told us to pray for, right? And, and, and he invites us to join him in that work, to be a part of his story. And you know, our, our human condition wires us to think that our lives are really the story of me. I'm the subject, and everyone else are just kind of characters in my story, and you come in and you go out, and, you know, saying yes to God reorients us, reorients everything. Saying yes to God means I trade this story of me and this life that's all about me in for a much, much, much greater story, and that's his story. God invites us to be a part of his story, what he's doing in the world. Because the truth is, creation is God's story. It's his story. God's the subject. But think about this amazing, amazing honor that he invites us to join and to participate in what he's doing. And that's never been more true than August 2021, right? Are we going to continue living a narrative of the self, a life centered on me? Or are we going to join and pursue a life centered on God, a life lived loving God, loving neighbor? Today, uh, we've been going through several different stories of uh, the Old Testament up to now. Next week, we're going to move to the New Testament. But today, I want to move to Judges. And spend some time with Gideon. And we find Gideon's story in Judges 6 through 8. Now, who were the judges? I, I think we need to start there. Well, that's a really good question. In between kind of the time of Moses to the time of David, there was a question of leadership for Israel. Because Israel was never, ever, ever meant to have a king, because God was to be king. There was going to be God's special people, and, uh, but the problem was they wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations that surrounded them. So rather than a king, God would send prophets, and God would send the judges. God would send prophets to warn them when they were going away from God, and the prophet's job was to call him and say, you know, it, you were, something very bad is going to happen if you don't turn back. Something very bad is going to happen if you don't come back to God. That was the, the prophet's job. But then God sent judges to lead the people. Some of them were religious leaders. Some of them were military leaders. But neither prophets nor the judges were king. And this is really important because God was king. So Gideon was called to judge Israel, a um, time when the people were struggling, honestly. Look at this story. We're going to start with uh, chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. When it says something like, the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian, it really means God just dropped a safety net. This is over and over and over in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it basically, the prophet's job was to say, hey, God's going to drop his safety net. You're going to hang out on your own if you don't stop what you're doing. And, and every once in a while, God would actually do it. Unfortunately, this happened quite a few times if you read much of the Old Testament. Israel, they kind of had a habit of not listening to God, not turning back to God, and, you know, and bad things would happen. In, in Hebrew, it, it says that God would turn his face from them, but it's like God just, you know, eventually just couldn't do it, and he, he just had to go back and look at his children because he loved them so much. But that's kind of the Old Testament in a nutshell. They were oppressed by the Midianites for seven years. And Israel did what Israel does when they get in that situation. They cry out to God in the midst of their oppression, God, God, save us. And so God, we're told, called Gideon. Chapter 6, 11 through 12, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, belonged to Joash the Abizarite, as his son Gideon was beating out wine in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. And you got to just pause and unpack something here. And we might just skip over it, but it's really important because it sets the tone for the whole story of Gideon. Gideon is beating wheat in a wine press, it says. Now, now um, he's doing this so the Midianites won't see him. You don't beat wine or wheat in a wine press or any type of closed space. As a matter of fact, what they would prefer to do is go up on the top of the hillside and beat it so that the wind would carry the shaft out. A wine press is a really bad option for this. Matter of fact, it's exact opposite what you will want to do. It's, it's a small contained structure within another small constrained structure, and, and it's meant you crush the grapes and then. The juice is supposed to flow into this container is the point. So Gideon is in hiding. He's trying to keep a low profile from the Midianites. He doesn't want any attention at all as to what he's doing. And it's a very menial task, right? So the angel's greeting is incredibly ironic here. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Everything about God's story with Gideon is meant to highlight how God is able to use the most small and significant for the greatest tasks and the greatest things. I mean, God takes this fearful boy hiding while doing a job that needs to be done outside in the open, like beating wheat, and God calls him a mighty warrior. And he can be if the boy would just say yes to God's call. So back to the story. Gideon answered, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Anybody but thought that in the last year and a half? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off given us into the hands of Midian. 
And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. And he responded, But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord said, But I will be with you. You shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. And he said, If I have found favor with you, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me, Lord. That's not the last time Gideon's going to ask for a sign. He does it quite a bit within these three chapters. Are you with me, God? Can, can you prove it? Are you really there, God? I, I, I really want to make sure before I step out into the open and do what I think you're calling me to do. Let's just make sure once more. Gideon starts out really, really timid. He's not a mighty warrior at all. But Gideon does rise to be a faithful leader. And he relies on God. And he becomes a mighty warrior, at least for a little while. But then the story changes. For now, I want us to see how God called this weak, scared, little kid hiding out. And he became a mighty warrior. But this was not his character at all. It was only because he said yes to God's call. And through God, all things are possible. But did you hear their conversation? I just think it's fascinating. The angel says, the Lord is with you, Gideon. And he responds, then why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? Why are we in this predicament why don't you do something about it, God? We're getting hammered here. If the Lord is with us, why doesn't he just help us out of this mess? If you read closely, the angel actually becomes the Lord, and the, change, the conversation changes, and the Lord basically says, I am, and you're the answer. I'm doing something here. You are my plan. You're my strategy. I'm calling a mighty warrior. The other day, I had lunch with a pastor friend, and um, we were talking about just all the messed up right now. I mean, you got COVID, you got all the forest fires, you got smoke, you got the heat, you got the hurricanes now, we got the masks, we got the vaccines, Afghanistan, I mean, it's just every day. And then all the regular pastoral issues that, you know, we have to help people with and jobs and marriages and kids and addiction. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I think Judges 6.14 is a really important passage for us right now. Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. I hereby commission you. There's a lot that we need to be delivered from today. And there's so much hurt and so much suffering and, and the fear and the anxiety and the injustices I mean, right now in the world. What is our job as the body of Christ when there is darkness in the world? Are we beaten wine or wheat in a wine press? The light entered the darkness, and the darkness did not put it out. I, 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 
that passage is still good to go. And we are called to be light barriers as disciples who follow Jesus. Jesus brought light into the darkness. The darkness did not overcome it. A disciple is someone who follows their master. You go where your leader goes. You do what your leader does. We're disciples of Jesus. Our job right now is to be light bearers. I'm kind of feeling some darkness in August 2021. The call does not change because it seems like we're in a season where it's gotten a little darker than usual. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I commission you. Gideon does what we do, and this is the Old Testament. You know, every story is a mirror in the Old Testament for us. It's a human condition over and over and over. God calls Gideon to leave his wine press, and he does the Moses, right? We looked at Moses was last week or the week before. I don't want this, God. You got to send somebody else, God. Give me a sign, God. It goes on and on and on. And see, the point is, Gideon, he doesn't get... His greatest virtue to offer is his weakness. It's not about Gideon's strength. It's about God's strength. And God's presence as he calls Gideon to be a part of his story and leave that wine press. Gideon is inadequate, and Gideon knows it is the point. But this is why God called him in that day in the midst of that wine press. All that matters, all that matters is that little verse, 616, I will be with you. Gideon gets his sign, and it's the first of a lot of signs that God's going to give him in three chapters. And Gideon says yes to God. But he kind of struggles with courage. The first call that God places upon Gideon is he's supposed to pull down an altar to the God uh, Canaanite God Baal, which actually belonged to Gideon's father. This is his family's altar, and, and God wants him to pull it down. And Gideon does what God asked him to do, but the problem, he, he, he pulled it down in the middle of the night when everybody was asleep. This is totally Gideon. 627, Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had told him because he was too afraid of his family and the townspeople to do it by day. He did it at night. I love this. I mean, he's not a mighty warrior at all, but at least he's trying. You know, you got to give him some credit. But then the townspeople, they wake up the next morning, and it starts to get ugly. And this is a great story, and we're just kind of, you know, breezing over it. But the short version is Gideon. Gideon not only made it out okay, but he's, he's given a second name after this whole thing happens. And, and, and the name is Jeroboam. And what that really means is let Baal contend against him. Like, let me in. Contend against me. And this is so important for a character study of Gideon. Because Gideon kind of develops a split personality, and it starts right here. 
On one hand, he's this faithful, he's weak, but he's a servant of God. And, and he's going to destroy an idol, even if he has it in the middle of the night when nobody's looking. He's he going to do it. But he's going to become a bold military leader as well, who unfortunately doesn't rely on God, but more and more starts to rely on himself. He starts to get more and more wins as, as God works through him, and then he starts to forget it's God working through him. And, and he starts to think he is the mighty warrior. And he starts to think his success and his strength and his talent comes from himself. And we all struggle with this, right? Gideon thinks it's his story, Jeroboam's story, not God's story, not his story. This is very subtle at first, but, but see, the point is, if we're honest, doesn't the same thing happen in our lives as well? We start out humble. Gideon felt inadequate. He's called to do. But he said yes, and he started working, God started working through him, and he experienced success. And, you know, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, chapter six, or 1, 26, 29, he says, God chooses the weak intentionally so that no one might boast in the presence of God. But the point is you need to stay weak and dependent on the presence of God. There is so much messed up in the world right now. And we all know it, especially right now. And we're going to ask the question Gideon asked. If the Lord is with us, why has this all happened to us? And we've had plenty series, uh, sermon series and classes on theodicy is what the, the term is called. And that's why do bad things happen to good people? And how can I believe in a good and loving God with all the suffering in the world? And, you know, and we'll struggle more in that in the future. But that's not what Gideon's story is about at all. See, the problem is God, God answers Gideon's question, but he does it with practice, not with theory. Gideon asks, why is this happening to us, God? Why don't you do something about this, God? And God says, I am, and I'm calling you. You're my strategy, Gideon, mighty warrior. And when we think about all the junk right now in our world, and we ask this question, I think God gives us the same exact answer. I'm calling you. Join my story. Work with me. Let's do something about this. And when we say yes, we have to remember that our success depends on our faithfulness and our promise to God, not on my strength and not on my talent. Our strength depends on God. God's promise to Gideon, I will be with you. I will be with you. Gideon starts out so well, even in the midst of the darkness, you know. It, he comes out of his wine press. He follows God. But the problem is he moves from an idol breaker to eventually he becomes an idol maker. We can't do that. These two names he has, Gideon and Jeroboam, oh, 
they're on purpose. He has a split personality. These two inner masters that start fighting and, and warring inside of him for control. And we all have this. As Gideon becomes bolder and Gideon becomes stronger, he relies less and less on God. And he attributes God's work to his own strength. And in the end, he leads Israel into idolatry. His tug of war is our tug of war, right? Because we all have tensions and we all have divided loyalties. And, and they're grounded in our ego. And we sneak out in the middle of the night, you know, and we pull down an altar to another God. And then we start to build a real altar to worship and to serve the real God. But we wrestle to stay true. And we start to think that the things that God is doing through us is because of me. It's my work. That happened because of my talents and my strength and my resources and my intelligence. You know, I start building idols. And I start worshiping myself. Now, we don't have time for an in-depth Bible study this morning, but uh, there's so many features in Gideon's story. How God continually imbalances the odds against Gideon. It's crazy how much this happens. So that Gideon's victories, they become more and more impressive because God keeps changing the balance. There is one great story we've got to talk about, Judges 7. God calls Gideon to lead an army into battle against the Midianites. And, and uh, chapter 7, the Lord said to Gideon, the troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel will only take the credit from me, saying, my own hand delivered me. Therefore, proclaim this in the hearing of the troops. Whoever is fearful and tremble, let him return home. Thus Gideon sifted them out. 22,000 returned, 10,000 remained. And then the Lord said to Gideon, he's not done, the troops are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I'll sift them out for you there. When I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. And when I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the troops down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, all of those, I love this story, all of those who lap water with their tongues, as a dog laps, you shall put to the side. And all of those who kneel down to drink, put their hands to their mouths, you shall put to the other side. And the number of those who laughed was 300. But all of the rest of the troops knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 that laughed, I will deliver you. I will give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go to their homes. And so the, he took the jars of the troops from the hands and the trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel back to their own tent. But 300 remained. This week, my dad told me that this was like one of my grandpa's favorite passages to, to preach on. I, I wish I would have heard one of those messages. But the point is, Gideon starts out with, if you do the math, he started out with 32,000 soldiers, and God pared it down to 300 to take on the Midianites. And we find out later, there's 120,000 soldiers in the Midianite army. So 300, 120,000. Why would God do that? So that everyone, the Midianites and the Israelites and Gideon, so they would all realize this kind of thing only happens when you're working with God. 
The odds are completely stacked against you. And the numbers look ridiculous. But it doesn't matter because all things are possible when you are on God's side. But don't ever forget, you're part of God's story. The victory is not yours. And of course that's what happens, right? You can see it coming. They attacked Gideon. Gideon tells them to shout, do this for the Lord and for Gideon as they're attacking. And it all goes downhill. His ego, as he experiences God's victories, he wants his name credited right alongside God's. This happened because God and Gideon did it. Apostle Paul once told the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Gideon started out so well, but like us, you know, he lost perspective. And it became a bigger and bigger and bigger problem as you read through these three chapters and you see his story as a progression of self-absorption. In the next story, beginning chapter 8, Gideon, he pursues these two Midianite kings, basically on his own. His 300 soldiers, they're just tired from all the, you know, it says they're exhausted and famished. And, and, and you know, God doesn't really play any role in this at all. He, he, basically, the story moves to just Gideon pursuing this violent retaliation for personal revenge, and it becomes a bloodbath. And he kills these kings himself. But it doesn't stop there. And, and so much happens. And I hope you read these three chapters on your own. It's only three chapters. But you fast forward to the end of the story, Gideon's story, and, and it's no longer God's story. It becomes Gideon's story. And it ends up, he crafts an idol. It's called an ephod. Listen to Judges 8.27. All Israel, it says, prostituted themselves to it. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family, this idol that he crafted. Now, there's a ton of nuance that we skipped, obviously, but, but here's the deal. The idol breaker becomes the idol maker. And that's the human condition. Moses came down, what, from spending time with God up on Mount Sinai. He's offering the, the, the covenant to Israelites, holding it. And what does he find at the bottom he finds Aaron and the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. This is us. This is what we do. Gideon, Gideon changed radically through his story, from that initial call to the end. He started out a fearful leader, but, but at least, you know, he followed God. I mean, he needs constant reassurance throughout the whole thing. I mean, his story, it needs all of these tests and all of these, you know, God is really you. But midway, he, he wants to share the limelight with God. And then in the end, he left God. And he took off on this personal vendetta, ended in bloodbath. He eventually presented the people an idol of his own making. 
Now, here's the good news. God worked through Gideon regardless. Over and over in the Bible, God, God works through imperfect people. Not in spite of, but through imperfect people. That's amazing grace. People like you, people like me. And one of the many lessons in this story, Gideon's story, it teaches us that God's will will be done. Even when it's done in spite of us. But how much greater could the story have been if this little kid who was hiding in that wine press that day would have stayed faithful and would have we would have read the story that God wanted to tell through his life. Now, what about now? I mean, there's so much in our world right now. And, you know, as you read this April, or maybe it was Kelsey, you know, the news right now, and I just, I don't even want to open up Facebook, frankly. And it kind of feels like must have felt for Gideon when, you know, he starts out with 32,000 troops and then they get whacked down and whacked down and whacked down and whacked down and pretty soon you're facing an army of 120,000 and you got 300 left. But all things are possible when God's on your side. right now. And we can do anything with God on our side if we're living His story. How is God wanting to work through you? I mean, there's a lot broken, but our God is much greater. Jesus said the kingdom is here. It's available right now. And we're invited to be a part of what God is doing in the world, God's story, His story. Will you have to see us? And there's so many ways that we can do this. I mean, we look in our home family, at work, in our neighborhood, but also in this world. And one thing I want to ask you, and there's so many ways that we can say yes to God, but we started about a year ago, maybe oh, more than that now, a year and a half ago, just allocating all of our fifth Sundays to, to benevolence, to help people. And, and most has gone to East Kennewick through our mobile markets and then also Honduras. There's a lot of need in Honduras. And next week is another fifth Sunday. And, you know, I don't know how much we're going to bring in, but, but most likely we'll surpass $200,000 of benevolence that we've raised in the last year and a half just to, to be able to, to help the hurting. I really want you to pray. Throughout this week, there is so much need right now. But our God is so much greater. And God wants to work through us so that we can be blessed to be a blessing to others. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you on this day for hope. I thank you for grace. And I thank you for your call that you use even us 
And we may be sitting in a wine press, hiding, fumbling with our wheat. Burst forth that wine press as you burst forth the tomb all of those years ago and bring forth life. We are a resurrection people. In your son's name, we proclaim hope. Amen.